Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Vince. And I'm Ashley. And we are the lead pastors of the Outlet Community Church. And wherever you are in the world, our heart is to add value to your life. That's right. Whether it's an encouraging word, whether it's a topic in the Bible, whether it's a life skill that you're looking to develop and hone in on, allow us to be an outlet for you. Yes, and our prayer is that wherever you are, whether you're right here in service or you're out in the world in the nation, listen, our prayer is that God meets you right where you are. We all have needs, we all have things, but our God is able and he's able to bless you and get you where you need to be. We have hundreds of hours of digital content that is available for you to consume yes. free of charge. Freely we receive, freely we want to give <laughs> it back to you. So make it a point to check out our page, check out our website at the yeah. Outlet Community. Dot com and you'll be able to find countless hours of videos, podcasts, and other material to help you grow in your walk with God. Hey, if you like some of the content, like, subscribe, share it, and we'd love that. <laughs> See your family and friends. So open up your heart and get ready to receive all that God has for you. How we doing? Good to see all your faces on Labor Day weekend. Well, as always, it is a pleasure and an honor to have an opportunity to talk with you guys. Um, but I don't know, after this sermon, I'm not sure you're necessarily going to want to have me back up here. Um, why, you may ask? Because this morning, I want to talk about work. Work? Really, Charlie? Charlie, do you want to talk about work? This is Labor Day weekend. This is the weekend where we don't talk about work. This is the weekend where we think nothing about work, right? Well, that's true. Um, why on earth would I want to talk about work today? Because I think that this Labor Day holiday, it gives us an opportunity to reflect. There is an immense value in our ability to reflect on our daily efforts, the daily efforts that we give to God or maybe refuse to give to God, right? We need to reflect on the fruits of our labor. I'm sure many of us feel like the work that we do each day is not necessarily done, quote, for God. But it's really all about our perspective. It can be for God if we give it to Him. All right? So the first point that I really want to drive home this morning is our work matters because it matters to God. I'm going to say that again. Our work matters because it matters to God. There are hundreds of verses in the Bible that address some aspect of work or labor. In the book of, in the book of Genesis, for example, the creation story, it depicts God as what? He's a worker. He built the earth, right? We also see that immediately after he finishes that, what does he do? He puts us to work. Well, that's a, good, that's a good answer, too. Somebody said rest. We'll get there. Hold on to that word, rest. Um, but immediately, he puts us to work. When he created Adam, 
one of the first things he did was give Adam a job. Does anybody remember what that job was? Yes, yes. He named the animals. Actually, naming the animals sounds pretty fun, if you think about it. Um, Imagine being the one to come up with names such as the paradoxical frog, or the raspberry crazy ant, or the chicken turtle, or the spiny lump sucker, or the red-lipped batfish, or the pink fairy armadillo. I'm not making these words up, y'all. These are words of actual, actual animals. You should look it up. Um, but back on track, Charlie. Remember, our work matters because it matters to God. Okay? In the Old Testament, we read about men and women who successfully integrate their faith in Jehovah God into their work, into their workplace. Some examples After fleeing his life of privilege in Egypt, Moses, he tended sheep for 40 years and then was eventually called to lead his people out of Egypt. At 17, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, and he ended up being a slave in Egypt for 13 years, but eventually he became the overseer of all that his master had. That period of time was called the seven years of plenty, one of the most prosperous times in the era of the pharaohs. Ruth. Ruth worked the fields to provide for herself and Naomi, and her hard work and loyalty eventually led her to a new family, a new husband, a son of her own, that family line that led to her great-grandson, King David, and yes, eventually Jesus Christ. If you recall, David... Before he was king, David was a musician, a man after my own heart. Um, Then he became what? He became a brave warrior. He defeated Goliath, and then eventually he was given the throne. Nehemiah. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem after the Babylonians destroyed the city in 580 B.C. There were also people like Bezalel and Ohaliab who were called by God to construct the tabernacle. There are so many references to work and God's hand in our work throughout the Old Testament. The book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all of those books, they offer principles on how we should work. Even the prophets, they give some insight about what the future should look like in terms of human work in our new creation. In the New Testament, it's more of the same. In the Gospels, we learn that that a carpenter named Jesus had a day job, just like you and me. We learn what he had to say about work, as well as what a tent maker named Paul had to say in the epistles. Remember that for the majority of his 33 years on earth, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, had a day job just like you and me, working with his hands, shaping wood into tools and furniture, all kinds of stuff, anything that you could make with wood. Have you all ever thought about that, that Jesus had a job just like you and me. Honestly, I can't say that I do often, all right? Given that he's the savior of the world and all, doesn't it seem odd that he spent three decades doing normal stuff like you and me before those three years where he flipped the world on its head and changed it for good? Was that 30 years, was that a waste of time? 
I don't think it was. Surely those years must have informed him as a man, right? I believe so. I believe that those 30 years of work, I believe it influenced how he came to the, came, um, sorry, I believe it influenced how he came at the world with the good news. I believe it gave him empathy for the least of these. I believe in those 30 years as a carpenter, Jesus witnessed plenty of injustices and abuses of power, distortions of greed, and disregard for the people made in his Father's image. I believe Jesus' life as a carpenter helped him figure out the best way to show us how to do our most important job, to help bring about the kingdom of God. Remember how that goes? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Our job is building the kingdom of God, not up there, but right here, right? The last time I spoke here, I talked about the significance of Jesus often saying the phrase, follow me, right? I explained that those words could mean, could be taken in a couple of different ways. So like, come along, follow me, join me in this. But also follow me can also mean do as I do, right? So Jesus, through his works, through his day-to-day activities, he came to show us how to act like precious children of God. And yes, he came to show us that God can be found and worshipped and obeyed even in the most mundane, non-religious activities. Yes, even when you're sitting there at work saying, why am I here? All right? I'm pretty sure that if we, had, if we could have a conversation today with some of those biblical figures that I just mentioned to you and ask them about their time working as field workers or as tent makers or as sheep herders, even as slaves, I'm sure they would all say, yeah, that time in my life, it was really bad. It stunk. It was very hard and it was very sad and I was lonely. But I'm also just as sure that they would also acknowledge that those same difficult times prepared them for who God eventually needed them to be. Let me say that again. I'm also sure that they would acknowledge that those same difficult times would prepare them for who God needed them to be. We've all been there, feeling stuck in a job that seems to have no value for us. Perhaps it's not even work under an employer. Y'all, being a mom is a really hard job. So is being a dad. I mean, in today's world, sometimes even the process of finding a job feels like a job in and of itself. Here's another thing. Getting right with God is also work. Healing and wholeness that's given to us by God is work. So the next time that you guys have feelings of despair, be sure in the promise that God is preparing you to be the person he needs you to be. Have hope in that. I believe that our work matters to God because our work, regardless of what kind of work it is, it informs us, it equips us, it refines us into the people that he calls us to be. 
In his book, Every Good Endeavor, the late Tim Keller reminds us that God's loving care comes to us largely through the labors of others. Work is a major instrument of God's providence. It is how he sustains the human world. I thought that was really interesting. Have y'all ever considered that our work, the stuff that we do every day, it actually helps God uphold his creation? Here's some examples of how our work upholds creation. Through work, God meets the needs of people who are of eternal value to him. Through work, God meets, the, um, meets our needs and our family's needs. Through work, God provides extra money so that we can give some of it to those in need. Through work, we love God and we show him our love and show the love to our neighbors by serving them. Our work, be it at the convenience store or at the office building or on the lawnmower or underneath the sink as a plumber, even here in the sanctuary, wherever our work contributes to the kingdom if we allow it to, and only if we allow it to. Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Next time, next time your boss is getting on your nerves, driving you up the wall, remember, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. That may keep you out of trouble, right? Many scholars say that this verse in Colossians 3.23 was actually written in, intentionally, initially, uh, for an audience of slaves. Man, that's some heavy stuff. To think you're a slave and yet you're supposed to work. Act like the work that you're doing, the toil and the, the pain that you're dealing. Do it for God. Don't do it for them. Man, that's such a powerful thing. So it's clear that God values our labor. But from the very beginning, God also knew that there is no way for us to keep up and sustain our efforts without rest. So here's my second big point of the day. Our rest also matters because it matters to God. Primarily, we think about this Labor Day weekend as what? A period of rest. We have that extra day where we're off. Looking, at, looking again at that creation story, right? God created the world in six days, and on the seventh, he did what? He rested. There we go. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And he decided, time to take a break. Now, I will have to admit to you that I have a hard time resting. This is not me saying to you or trying to show you that I'm amazing because I work so much. That's not what I'm saying. This is me acknowledging to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is me acknowledging to you that I have a problem. In a way, you could say that I work so much because I don't trust God to give me everything I need. 
You could say that I work so much because I, f- I like to feel in control in my life. I work so much because it's an effective distraction from dealing with some of my trust and control issues, right? I absolutely should and could lay those burdens down at his feet on this altar, but often I do not. Maybe some of you have been that way, felt that way too. Friends, we are not meant to live for work. We are meant to work so that we can more fully live. Yes, our work does prepare us for who God needs us to be, but our work is not the end all. Exodus 20, 9 through 11 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that it is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Our rest is supposed to be holy. So why should we ignore it? Sabbath was conceived by God and promoted by our Jewish forefathers. So this morning we're talking about Labor Day, but that concept of a weekend even... That's a historically new idea as well. For most of history, everyone toiled every day except for a very, very privileged few. These slave owners, these feudal lords, these corrupt employers, they profited off of us, off of the working class, but saw no need to honor them, much less to limit their working hours or see to their welfare. This exploitation also included women and children. Throughout history, large swaths of the world's population would be routinely, literally, worked to death. Labor Day, as the internet tells me, Labor Day honors the American labor movement and the contributions that workers have made to the strength and the prosperity and the laws and well-being of this country. It became a federal holiday in 1894. It was a long time coming, but truly, it was just the beginning. Christians had a large influence on the labor movement before and after that holiday became uh, nationalized. Christianity promoted that Jewish idea of Sabbath in the hope that everyone had at least one day of rest each week. So for us as Christians, we believe that the garbage man has no less importance than a king. Of course, even in Christian circles, true Sabbath for workers was often disregarded by employers. And even when it was honored by law and by custom, those in power would often disregard the health and the safety and the welfare of employees. Laborers were cheap and replaceable. To them, people, you and me, were merely objects. Certainly, as Jesus' followers, we should celebrate the ethical and political reforms that came out of the labor movement, which resulted in establishing child labor laws, guaranteeing a more livable wage, safer working conditions. But it should also be obvious to us that these things align with Christ's concern for the least of these, for the foreigner for the orphan, for the widow. 
In Proverbs 29, 7, Solomon writes, The righteous care about the justice of the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. This implies that you and me as Christians should speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. We are called by God to defend the rights of the poor and the needy, those who are being crushed. God values our work. God values our rest. But here's one more very, very important reality that we should never forget. God is a God of justice. More than 160 countries celebrate some form of Labor Day around the world. And many of those labor movements help bring about a more just working environment for its citizens. Lots of progress has been made. The average laborer is celebrated for his or her hard work. Human dignity in the workplace is probably at an all-time high. But here's the thing. Whenever a system of injustice is exposed for its cruelty, rarely do those in power stop and beg for forgiveness. Rarely do they change their ways. What do they do instead? They usually try to change how it looks. They change the form. They change the shape of the institution so that their new efforts can be obscured. Often, it allows them to carry on like before without much scrutiny. We've seen it from day one, from chapter one in the Bible. Power and greed is always a threat to humanity. So whenever the powerful are brought to justice, most of the time, that is not the end all. Those systems of injustice, they simply change form to attempt to keep on doing what they've always done. And we've got an easy example of that. Talking to my African-American brothers and sisters in the room, when slavery was abolished through the Emancipation Proclamation, did that fix everything? No, of course not. The systems of injustice, what did they do? They changed form. There was the disenfranchisement period during Reconstruction. There was the era of Jim Crow. It goes on and on. The school-to-prison pipeline, on and on and on. And it's a fight and it's a struggle that is still ongoing today. My wife, she is a Methodist minister in Athens, Georgia. She often talks about a gathering that she attended with Mr. Vivian and Vince, a member of this church. Mr. Vivian, we know Vince is a member of this church. Um, my wife, she credits that gathering as a turning point in her understanding as a white person on how deep the challenges still are in regards to race relations. Mr. Vivian spoke with candor and with truth, but also with love. And he spoke the truth even when it was so hard for us to hear. So now, on this Labor Day weekend, here is another hard truth for us as Americans and as Christians. For all the strides that have been made in protecting the worker, much of it is unfortunately in vain. Why? Why? Because once again, those in power 
have just changed the form. In, in economics, globalization can be defined as a process in which businesses and organizations and countries operate on an international scale. Borders don't matter as much when it comes to money changing hands. Globalization is often mostly defined in an economic context, but it also affects politics, it affects culture, and yes, it is affecting you and me right now. Sure, our labor laws do a decent job of protecting our children, protecting our women, protecting our workforce. But those companies that used to employ us, now what do they do? They employ others from around the world. They change the form. This is how that exploitation has changed form. Let's look at Luke 10, 25 through 29 for a second. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love your Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said to him, Do this and you will live. The man was still trying to justify his actions, to justify his exploitations. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's think about our neighbors in the context of interaction. For many cultures around the world, people rarely travel and live beyond about 20 miles from where they were born. And that's the case here in America as well. Around 72% of all adults live within about 20 miles from where they grew up. Who's my neighbor? That one's pretty clear, right? But now, let's expand that context a little bit. Let's include in that context the interaction of all the ways that we engage with people well beyond that 20-mile mark each and every day. Do me a favor. When you get home today and take off your Sunday clothes and get in some comfortable clothes for relaxation on this Labor Day holiday, as you're doing all that, make note of where all those clothes were made. Look at the tags. When you go to your kitchen to start preparing perhaps for a barbecue and some leisurely time with friends, make note of where your appliances come from. Make note of where your food is coming from. And maybe later in the evening when you want to Netflix and chill with you and your family and you want to crowd around a computer or a smart TV or a laptop or a smartphone, make note of where it comes from. Do you think you're going to see Made in the USA very often? You're not. Make note of how many countries that we interact with every day. I think you'll be really, really surprised. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone who has the possibility of impacting my life or mine impacting theirs. There are people watching on the stream right now using a smartphone, but they're being impacted from probably 13 or 14 different countries that built that phone they're watching the stream on. 
Who is my neighbor? The neighbor is anyone who has the possibility of impacting our lives or ours impacting theirs. Here's another example. The seafood industry. Seafood industry in Thailand. It's valued at about $6 billion. That's a massive amount of money. Much of the shrimp that we consume here in the United States, it comes from there. 90% of that workforce are indentured servants. It's the reality. So when we go buy a pound of shrimp and want to cook it up in the evening, we're probably dealing with slavery just by doing that. Similar statistics can be found for all kinds of things. Fruits. I've walked through banana fields in Guatemala and Mexico where cartels were using slaves to do all the harvesting. Chocolate. You've probably heard me talk about chocolate before. Coffee. Our smartphones, our electronics, our clothes. We're surrounded by it. There's probably not a single one of us in this room right now who is not supported in some way by slavery that's happening right now as we speak. Barack Obama, when he was president, he gave a speech on these realities. And he said, and I quote, Today I want to discuss an issue that relates to all of these global challenges. It ought to, it ought to concern every person because it is a debasement of our common humanity. It ought to concern every community because it tears at our social fabric. It ought to concern every business because it distorts markets. It ought to concern every nation because it endangers public health and it, and it fuels violence and organized crime. I'm talking about injustice. I'm talking about the injustice, the outrage of human trafficking, which must be called by its true name, modern slavery. Now, I do not use that word slavery lightly. This is Mr. Obama saying this. It evokes, obviously, one of the most painful chapters in our nation's history. But around the world, there is no denying this awful reality. When a man desperate for work finds himself in a factory or in a fishing boat or in a field working, toiling for little or no pay, and beaten if he tries to escape, that is slavery. When a woman is locked in a sweatshop or trapped in a home in a, as a domestic servant, alone and abused and incapable of leaving, that is slavery. When a little boy is kidnapped, turned into a child soldier, forced to kill or be killed, that is slavery. When a little girl is sold by her impoverished family and runs away from home or is lured by false promises for a better life and then imprisoned in a brothel and tortured if she resists, that is slavery. It is barbaric, it is evil, and it has no place in the civilized world. President Obama goes on to say, For all the progress that we have made, the bitter truth is that trafficking also goes on right here in the United States. It's the migrant worker unable to pay off debt to his trafficker. The man lured here with the promise of a job. His documents are taken, and he's forced to work endless hours in a kitchen. It's the teenage girl beaten and forced to walk the streets. This should not be happening in the United States, but it is. I know what some of you may be thinking. Well, first of all, I know you're probably thinking, Charlie, this is Labor Day. Man, I just want to chill. I don't want to think about this stuff. 
But I know that you're also probably thinking, why does this matter? What can I truly do about any of this? I'm not in control of these markets. I'm not in control of where companies find workers. I'm just trying to buy my goods and services. Well, all I can do is tell you why it matters to me. It matters to me because this is part of my job, my work. So you see, when I'm not playing music up here or producing music at a recording studio in Athens, I'm working with my wife for our charity. We have a nonprofit called Proximity, and it is dedicated to helping migrants and refugees find safety and refuge and peace. For 10 years, we were missionaries living in Europe and Russia, and we spent a large amount of time in refugee camps and in migrant squats and border zones as thousands of people traveled across the Middle East, North Africa, and Southeast Asia in an effort to find refuge in Europe. We are seeing, sorry, got ahead of myself. I have witnessed in these refugee camps all around the world, I've witnessed some very dark, dark, tragic scenes. I have seen violence and even death in forms that haunt me to this day. Over half of every migrant worker has seen another migrant worker killed by an employer, murdered. I have seen some stuff, but I have also seen precious, precious children of God. I've seen the absolute best of us in some of the worst possible conditions. The United Nations most recently estimated that by the end of 2022, for the first time in recorded history, the number of people forcibly displaced in the world is now at 108.4 million people. That is 108.4 million people walking the earth right now. And over 35.3 million of them have been classified as refugees. And if you want to know more about the classification stuff, come find me after the service. I'd be glad to talk with you. One of the main reasons why my wife got, and I got involved in refugee aid so many years ago is because we've got a long history of working with at-risk kids. And the reality is, of that 108.4 million people, over half of them are children. We are seeing people fleeing their homes on a scale never before seen in recorded history. In the past two decades, since 2011, the number of people forced to leave their homes has increased dramatically, with a 75% increase between 96 and 2015. So the question is, is why did they leave? Number one, this is the easy one, it's the most obvious one, conflict and violence. I've worked with lots of Syrian and Afghan and Iraqi refugees who were fleeing their wars, and they would arrive in Greece and in Italy, and they would live in these camps, many of them with war wounds. My family and I, in the last couple of years, we've spent some time in Ukraine where that war is ongoing right now. The second reason is persecution and vulnerable groups. I've worked with persecuted Christians fleeing Boko Haram in Africa. I've seen persecuted Sikhs and persecuted Muslims who were traveling across Asia. 
Persecuted tribes of people from dozens of different countries who had to flee literal genocide. Other tribes trying to wipe out every single person in another tribe. Another reason why they flee, disasters in the environment. There are parts of the world right now that are experiencing extreme drought and famine. Their most logical step is to send out their best and brightest, usually a young man, to try to find work in more prosperous countries in the hope that the man will find work and then will continue financially supporting the tribes and the villages back home. That happens all the time. I bet you I've met 700 of them in the last five years. Development-induced displacement is another reason. Sometimes corrupt corporations, they have the ability to take over, and I mean literally take over, politically weak countries. And then they will exploit their workforce. And often those workers try to flee. All of these people that I'm describing leaving their countries due to these problems. They are prime targets for human traffickers. I've seen some poor souls in these camps who have been trafficked three and four times as they fled. What we are talking about here is modern slavery, and it is a huge driver in much of our goods and services here in the West. And one of the largest trafficking hubs in the world is none other than Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport here in Atlanta. The Global Slavery Index is a fund that tracks modern slavery around the world. And currently, they estimate that over 50 million people are living in modern slavery today. Grace Forrest, the director of Walk Free, a partner organization with Global Slavery Index, Grace says this, Modern slavery, it permeates every aspect of our society. It is woven through our clothes, it lights up our electronics, it seasons our food. At its core, modern slavery is a manifestation of extreme inequality. It is a mirror held up to power, reflecting who in any given society has it and who does not. Nowhere in this paradox is this paradox more present than in our global economy through transnational supply chains. When we go to the store and we buy our groceries or we buy our clothes or we buy our appliances, basically a lot of even services that we, that we benefit from, a lot of times there is some connection to modern slavery. As we celebrate this Labor Day and gather for some barbecue and some good company, I definitely want us to celebrate our efforts. I want us to celebrate our work, know that God celebrates our work. I want us to remember that our work is valued because God values it. I want us to rest, and I want us to take stock of the fruits of our labor and the ways in which God has blessed us. But as Christians, I don't think that we can stop there. Because if God truly values work and he advocates rest... Don't all of our neighbors around the world deserve the same respect and consideration for the work they are doing for us? When I'm working in these camps, in these foreign countries, when I'm away from here, I often wonder, when I see all these people, which one of these souls is a Moses? Which one of these souls is a Ruth, a Naomi? 
Which one of them is a Jacob? Maya Angelou said that the truth is no one of us can be free until everybody is free. So if that is true, then for us as Christ followers, we've got some work to do. Thank you so much for your time. And please do come and find me and talk to me if you want to learn more about ways that you can contribute to helping stop this slavery issue that's happening around the world. I appreciate your time. Amen.